Welcome, Christian Israel. This is Eurofolk Radio. Today is June 18th, 2022, and this is Genesis to Revelation. We, I think we finished off last week in Judges chapter 5, the story of Deborah and Jael, and we encountered a a tribe of metalsmiths in that chapter that uh, were related to Hobab, the son of Moses. Uh, yeah, the son of Moses' father. Okay, so or maybe it was his uncle. I have to sh- uh, find out for sure. So, but uh, today Dan is only going to be with us a half an hour. So, uh, Dan, why don't we just pick it up in Genesis? Uh, sorry, uh, Judges, Judges, ch- chapter six, and then you know w- when you leave, I'll go back and re- cover that story and get the lowdown on the word Kenite. All right, over to you. Okay, Judges okay. chapter six. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of Yahweh, and Yahweh delivered them into the hand of Median seven years. And the hand of Median prevailed against Israel. And because of the Medianites, the children of Israel made them the dens which are in the mountains and caves and strongholds. And so it was when Israel had sown that the Medianites came up, and the Amalekites, and the children of the east, even they came up against them. Okay, this is interesting, uh, because in John chapter 8, where Yahshua confronts the Pharisees, and they say, we have never been in bondage to any man. (laughs) So here's another instance of the bondage of Israel. Mm -hmm. Okay, and in fact, uh, they were fighting against the Amalekites, who were Edomites, descendants of of, uh, Edom. Okay, so and it proves that the Amalekites were on the other side, and these Pharisees were the descendants of Amalekites and other Edomites. Again, this proves that John chapter 8 is crucial for the understanding of our people. Back to you. Who do you think these children of the East are in verse 3? Oh, you- okay. All right. Well, I think it's probably because we encountered them in Judges chapter 5. Mm-hmm. The, uh, it's, I think it's the children of Abraham and Keturah. Okay, who uh, remember when we read the story of uh, Jethro, and uh, I don't know if it was in the scriptures. Oh yeah, no. Oh, actually, it was uh, Michael and I read the story of Jethro from uh, the descendants of Keturah, a completely separate work. And in that work, Jethro confronts his own people, and his own people had turned to idolatry. And he uh, prophesies that they will become become idolaters and uh, abandon Yahweh. Okay, so that's probably who these children of the East are. Okay, but okay. that's my, that's yeah. my guess, but I think that's a good guess because you know, we're t- we're confronting the children of um, the d- descendants of Jethro in Judges. We've already encountered them in the first four chapters. Okay, back to you. Okay, verse four. And they encamped against them and destroyed the increase of the earth till thou come unto Gaza and left no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep nor ox nor ass. For they came up with their cattle and their tents, and they came as grasshoppers for multitude. For both they and their camels were without number, and they entered into the land to destroy it. And Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites. And the children of Israel cried unto Yahweh. And it came to pass when the children of Israel cried unto Yahweh because of the Midianites, that Yahweh sent a prophet unto the children of Israel, which said unto them, 
Thus saith Yahweh God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you forth out of the house of bondage. And I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all that oppressed you and drove them out from before you and gave you their land. And I said unto you, I am Yahweh your God. Fear not the God of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell, but ye have not obeyed my voice. <laughs> okay. And Yeah. What else is there? And there <laughs> right. Well, yeah, nothing new there, right? Yeah, right. And there came an angel of Yahweh and sat under an oak, which was in Ophrah, that pertained unto Joash the Abizarite. And his son Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of Yahweh appeared unto him and said unto him, Yahweh is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. And Gideon said unto him, O oh, my Lord, if Yahweh be with us, why then is all this befallen us? And where be all his miracles, which our fathers told us of, saying, Did not Yahweh bring us up from Egypt? But now Yahweh has forsaken us and delivered us into the hand of the Midianites. Yeah. Who, me? I'm a man, mighty <laughs> man of valor, really? <laughs> okay, if you say so. All right, please continue. <laughs> And Yahweh looked upon him and said, Go in this might, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee? And he said unto him, O my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And Yahweh said unto him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall smite the Midianites as one man. And he said unto him, If now I have found grace in thy sight, then show me a sign that thou talkest with me. Depart not hence, I pray thee, until I come unto thee, and bring forth my present, and set it before thee. And he said, I will tarry until thou come again. And Gideon went in and made ready a kid, and unleavened cakes of ephah of flour. The flesh he put in a basket, and he put the broth in a pot, and brought it out unto him under the oak, and presented it. And the angel of God said unto him, Take the flesh and the unleavened cakes, and lay them upon this rock, and pour out the broth. And he did so. Then the angel of Yahweh put forth the end of the staff that was in his hand, and touched the flesh and the unleavened cakes. And there rose up fire out of the rock, and consumed Ooh. the flesh and the unleavened cakes. Then the angel of Yahweh departed out of his sight. And when Gideon perceived that he was an angel of Yahweh, Gideon said, Alas, O Lord Yahweh, for I have seen an angel of Yahweh face to face. Mm. And Yahweh said unto him, Peace be unto thee. Fear not, thou shalt not die. <laughs> then yeah, yeah. It's getting hot, mighty hot around here, Yahweh. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I'll do what you say. Then Gideon built an altar there unto Yahweh and called it, Jehovah Shalom. Unto this day, it is yet in Ophrah of the Abyssalites. And it came to pass the same night that Yahweh said unto him, Take thy father's young bullock, even the second bullock of seven years old, and throw down the altar of Baal that thy father has, and cut down the grove that is by it, and build an altar unto Yahweh thy God upon the top of this rock, in the ordered place, and take the second bullock and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the grove which thou shalt cut down. 
Then Gideon took ten men of his servants and did as Yahweh had said unto him. And so it was, because he feared his father's household and the men of the city, that he could not do it by day, that he did it by night. And when the men of the city arose early in the morning, behold, the altar of Baal was cast down, and the grove was cut down that was by it, and the second bullet was offered upon the altar that was built. And they said one to another, Who has done this thing? And when they inquired and asked, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, has done this thing. Then the men of the city said unto Joash, Bring out thy son, that he may die, because he has cast down the altar of Baal. Horrible thing. He has cut down the grove that was by it. The horrible thing that he did. Sorry. This is crazy. Yeah. So his fellow Israelites are accusing him and want to kill him. All right. Mm hmm. It shows how how far people turn away from from Yahweh, doesn't it? Yeah. Just like today, really far away. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And Joash said unto all that stood against him, Will you plead for Baal? Will you save him? He that will plead for him, let him be put to death while it is yet morning. If he be a god, let him plead for himself, because one has cast down his altar. Therefore, on that day he called him Jerubbabel, saying, Let Baal plead against him, because he has thrown down his altar. Then all the Midianites and the Amalekites and the children of the east were gathered together and went over and pitched in the valley of Jezreel. But the spirit of Yahweh came upon Gideon, and he blew a trumpet, and Abizar was gathered after him. And he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh, who also was gathered after him. And he sent messengers unto Asher, and unto Zebulun, and unto Naphtali, and they came up to meet him. Okay, the battle is getting ready. <laughs> okay. And Gideon said unto God, If thou wilt save Israel by my hand, as thou hast said, behold, I will put a fleece of wool in the floor, and if the dew be on the fleece only, and it be dry upon all the earth beside, then shall I know that thou wilt save Israel by my hand, as oh, thou hast said. Hold on. This is probably the origin of the golden fleece. In the Greek myths, right? This has got to be it because all those Greek myths are based mm-hmm. on Israelite history. This has got to be the origin. Like uh, Samson is the origin of Hercules. So it's just a matter of changing the names. And But the stories are very, very similar. Very similar. Mm-hmm. Okay, back to you. And it was so, for he rose up early on the morrow and thrust the fleece together and wringed the dew out of the fleece, a bowl full of water. And Gideon said unto God, Let not thine anger be hot against me, and I will speak but this once. Let me prove, I pray thee, but this once with the fleece. Let it now be dry only upon the fleece, and upon all the ground let there be dew. And God did so that night, for it was dry upon the fleece only, and there was dew on all the ground. End of chapter 6. Okay. seven. You're testing Yahweh, <laughs> and he and he said, he said, okay, I'll do that. <laughs> Very yeah. good. Chapter 7. Then Jerubbabel, who is Gideon, and all the people that were with him, rose up early and pitched beside the well of Herod, so that the host of the Midianites were on the north side of them, by the hill of Moray in the valley. And Yahweh said unto Gideon, The people that are with thee are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands. 
lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, My own hand has saved me. Now therefore go to, proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whosoever is fearful and afraid, let him return and depart early from Mount Gilead. And there returned of the people twenty and two thousand, and there remained ten thousand. Okay, so he's giving these various soldiers a chance to leave. If if you're a coward, (laughs) if you're a coward, uh, go back home. We don't want you. Back to you. And Yahweh said unto Gideon, The people are yet too many. Bring them down unto the water, and I will try them for thee there. And it shall be that of whom I say unto thee, This shall go with thee, the same shall go with thee. And of whomsoever I say unto thee, this shall not go up with thee, the same shall not go. So he brought down the people unto the water, and Yahweh said unto Gideon, Everyone that lappeth of the water with his tongue as a dog lappeth, him shalt thou set by himself. Likewise, everyone that boweth down upon his knees to drink. And the number of them that lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, were three hundred men. But all the rest of the people bowed down upon their knees to drink water. And Yahweh said unto Gideon, By the three hundred men that lapped will I save you, and deliver the Midianites into thine hand. And let all the other people go, every man unto his place. So the people took victuals in their hand and their trumpets. And he sent all the rest of Israel, every man unto his tent, and retained those three hundred men. And the host of Midian was beneath him in the valley. And it came to pass the same night that Yahweh said unto him, Arise, get thee down unto the host, for I have delivered it into thine hand. But if thou fear to go down, go thou with Furah, thy servant, down to the host. And thou shalt hear what they say, and afterward shall thine hands be strengthened to go down unto the host. Then he went down with Furah, his servant, unto the outside of the armed men that were in the host. And the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the children of the east lay along the valley like grasshoppers for multitude. And their camels were without number, as the sand by the seaside for multitude. All right, this is uh, very interesting because we're in the same situation today. Uh, There's millions of Israelites in the world, billions actually, and you know, very few, few of them have any faith. And so what's, uh, Yahweh is going to reject the vast majority of them, and then he's going to deliver the, the remnant in these end times. Uh, the Bible says, who can make war against the beast, right? We certainly can't make physical war against the beast, so we have to put on the armor of righteousness and proceed there, therewith. So this is, uh, again, this has happened numerous times in the Old Testament. And it's going to happen one last time, folks. Only one more time do we have to go through all this. All right, back to you. This should inspire us. Yes, absolutely. The odds, are, the odds are overwhelmingly against us, but we have Yahweh and they don't. Mm-hmm, exactly. Mm-hmm. Verse 13, And when Gideon was come, behold, there was a man that told a dream unto his fellow and said, Behold, I dreamed a dream. And lo, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the house of into the host of Median, and came unto a tent, and smote it that it fell, and overturned it, that the tent lay along. And his fellow servant answered and said, 
This is nothing else save the word, save the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man okay. of Israel. For into his hand God delivered Midian and all the host. Okay, we need to and, start baking uh, uh, cakes of of barley, right? <laughs> Get ready, folks. Barley, barley. Back to you. And it was so when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and the interpretation thereof that he worshipped and returned into the host of Israel and said, Arise, for Yahweh has delivered into your hand the host of Midian. And he divided the 300 men into three companies, and he put a trumpet in every man's hand with empty pitchers and lamps within the pitchers. And he said unto them, Look on me and do likewise. And behold, when I come to the outside of the camp, it shall be that as I do, so shall you do. When I blow with the trumpet, I and all that are with me, then blow ye the trumpets also on every side of all the camp, and say, The sword of Yahweh and of Gideon. Amen. Well, now, that is very interesting because this reminds me of uh, General George Washington when uh, they brought the cannons down from Fort Ticonderoga. And uh, it was great difficulty because it was in the winter time and they had to put them on sleds. And they dragged them down to Boston, the bluffs just above the city of Boston. And they lined those cannon up. And I think I believe it was General Gates who was in charge of the British company down there. And they saw all those huge cannons looming down above Boston. And they said, uh-oh, we better get the heck out of here. Look what they've got, right? What they didn't realize was that Washington had no shells for those cannons, <laughs> right? <laughs> it was all a bluff. But the wow, British, I didn't hear this one. I haven't heard this. Yeah, it was all a bluff. They didn't have any shells for those cannon, but they looked up on on the maybe this is where the bluff word bluff. <laughs> you're you're bluffing, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> maybe that's where the verb uh, form of the word bluff uh, came from. But yeah, so uh, he uh, Yahweh can uh, confound our enemies, and boy, I, I can't wait to see how they're confounded in these end times. Uh, I, I want to be here to see it. All right, back to you. All right, verse 19. So Gideon and the hundred men that were with him came unto the outside of the camp in the beginning of the middle watch. And they had but newly set the watch, and they blew the trumpets and break the pitchers that were in their hands. And the three companies blew the trumpets and break the pitchers and held the lamps in their left hands and the trumpets in their right hands to blow withal. And they cried, the sword of Yahweh and of Gideon. And they stood every man in his place round about the camp. And all the host ran and cried (laughs) and fled. And the 300 blew the trumpets. And Yahweh set every man's sword against his fellow, even throughout all the host. And the host fled to Bethshitta in Zariath and to the border of Abel-Meholah unto Tabith. And the men of Israel gathered themselves together out of Naphtali and out of Asher and out of all Manasseh and pursued after the Midianites. And Gideon sent messengers throughout all Mount Ephraim, saying, Come down against the Midianites and take before them the waters unto Bethbara and Jordan. Then all the men of Ephraim gathered themselves together and took the waters unto Bethbara and Jordan. And they took two princes of the Midianites 
Oreb, and Zeb. And they slew Oreb upon the rock Oreb, and Zeb they slew at the winepress of Zeb, and pursued Midian, and brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon on the other side, Jordan. Blood and guts in the Bible, folks. Very interesting oh, yeah. stuff. <laughs> right? Yahweh is not a, a pacifist, neither is his son, right? So uh, this is very interesting stuff that if we stay true to Yahweh, uh, as it says in uh, Revelation twelve eighteen, those who obey the commandments and have the faith of Jesus Christ, he will, he will conquer our enemies, right? I will contend with him who contendeth with thee. So he'll take care of business. We have nothing to be worried about, folks, as long as we have the righteousness of uh, Yahweh upon us. Okay, so Gideon defeats Zeba and Zalmunna is the next chapter. I think uh, we have time for you to read through this. Okay. Yeah. Chapter 8. And the men of Ephraim said unto him, Why hast thou served us that thou called us not when thou wentest to fight with the Midianites? And they did chide with him sharply. And he said unto them, What have I done now in comparison of you? Is not the gleaning of the grapes of Ephraim better than the vintage of Abizar? God has delivered into your hands the princes of Medium, Oreb, and Zeb. And what I was able to do in comparison of you? Then their anger was abated toward him when he had said that. And Gideon came to Jordan and passed over. He and the 300 men that were with him, faint yet pursuing them. And he said unto the men of Succoth, Give, I pray you, loaves of bread unto the people that follow me, for they be faint, and I am pursuing after Zeba and Zalmunna, kings of Median. And the princes of Succoth said, Are the hands of Zeba and Zalmunna now in thine hand, that we should give bread unto thine army? And Gideon said, Therefore, when Yahweh has delivered Zeba and Zalmunna into my hand, then I will tear your flesh with the thorns <laughs> of the wilderness and with the briars. And he went up thence to Penuel and spake unto them likewise. And the men of Penuel answered him as the men of Succoth had answered him. And he spake also unto the men of Penuel, saying, When I come again in peace, I will break down this tower. Now Zeba and Zalmunna were in Karkor, and their hosts with them, about 15,000 men, all that were left of the hosts of the children of the east. For there fell 120,000 men that drew sword. And Gideon went up by the way of them that dwelt in tents on the east of Noba and Jogbeha, and smote the host, for the host was secure. And when Zeba and Zalmunna fled, he pursued after them. And took the two kings of Median, Zeba and Zalmunna, and discomfited all the host. And Gideon the son of Joash returned from battle before the sun was up, and caught a young man of the men of Succoth, and inquired of him. And he described unto him the princes of Succoth, and the elders thereof, even threescore and seventeen men. And he came unto the men of Succoth, and said, Behold, Zeba and Zalmunna, with whom ye did upbraid me, saying, Are the hands of Zeba and Zalmunna now in thine hand, that we should give bread unto thy men that are weary? And he took the elders of the city, and the thorns of the wilderness and briars, and with them he taught the men of Succoth. 
and he beat down the tower of Penuel and slew the men of the city. Then said he unto Ziba and Zalmunna, What manner of men were they whom you slew at Tabor? And they answered, As thou art, so were they. Each one resembled the children of a king. And he said, They were my brethren, even the sons of my mother, as Yahweh lives. If ye had saved them alive, I would not slay you. And he said unto Jether, his firstborn, Up and slay them. But the youth drew not his sword, for he feared, because he was yet a youth. Then Ziba and Zalmunna said, Rise thou and fall upon us. For as the man is, so is his strength. And Gideon arose and slew Ziba and Zalmunna and took away the ornaments that were on their camels' necks. Oh, man. Chains around their necks, huh? (laughs) Yep. Okay. Then the men of Israel said unto Gideon, Rule thou over us, both thou and thy son, and thy son's son also. For thou hast delivered us from the hand of Midian. And Gideon said unto them, I will not rule over you. Neither shall my son rule over you. Just like George Yahweh. Washington, <laughs> right? He, he yeah. declined to be king. The, uh, Yahweh shall rule over you. That's right. And Gideon said unto him, I would desire a request of you, that you would give me every man the earrings of his prey, for they had golden earrings because they were Ishmaelites. And they answered, we will willingly give them. And they spread a garment. And cast therein every man the earrings of his prey. And the weight of the golden earrings that he requested was a thousand and seven hundred shekels of gold, beside ornaments and collars and purple raiment that was on the kings of Median, and beside the chains that were about their camels' necks. And Gideon made an ephod thereof, and put it in his city, even in Ophrah. And all Israel went tight, went thither a whoring after it, which thing became a snare unto Gideon and to his house. Thus was Midian subdued before the children of Israel, so that they lifted up their heads no more. And the country was in quietness forty years in the days of Gideon. And Jeroboam, the son of Joash, went and dwelt in his own house. And, that's and Gideon, Gideon had three score uh, and. Jeroboam is, is Gideon, as he's just given that name right. because he destroyed the, the images of Baal. Okay, back to you. Yep. And Gideon had threescore and ten sons of his body begotten, for he had many wives. And his concubine that was in Shechem, she also bare him a son, whose name he called Abimelech. And Gideon, the son of Joash, died in a good old age and was buried in the sepulcher of, his, of Joash, his father. And Ophrah of the Abir of Israelites. And it came to pass as soon as Gideon was dead that the children of Israel turned again and went whoring after Baal <laughs> and made Baal Barith their God. And the children of Israel remembered not Yahweh their God, who had delivered them out of the hands of all their enemies on every side. Neither showed they kindness to the house of Jerubbabel, namely Gideon, according to all the goodness which he had showed unto Israel. Okay, so those, um, those what do you call them, those rituals, those bloody rituals of Baal, and of course the orgies that uh, go with them, had to be so good that they keep uh, the Israelites kept forgetting Yahweh. 
and they kept uh, denying his law. So over and over again, uh, how many times? Uh, I think uh, if somebody went through the Bible just to count how many times the children of Israel rebelled against Yahweh, it would be in the thousands. Oh, right? yeah. Yeah. It's just it seemed like pre- when, when the leadership went, then the people went. If they had That's, a good leader like Gideon, then the people right. stayed in line. But when yeah. the, the leader passed away, they went right back to their old ways. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, Trump didn't give us 40 years. <laughs> peace. <laughs> there hasn't been a moment's peace since, uh, you know, well, since the Democratic Party and now the rhinos have taken over our country. And maybe uh, 9-11 was a turning point, you know, where our country was totally taken over by by the international Jews. But be that as it may, uh, I think you have to take uh, take your I mother. I believe, yep. Yeah, okay. All so right. So I enjoyed it, and yeah. we'll see you next week. Okay, very good. Thank you, Dan. Praise Yahweh. Thank you. All right, uh-huh. okay. All right, folks, so um, I have a special uh, subject prepared to finish the show today because last week we touched upon the word Kenite, and uh, we quoted uh, uh, a passage from uh, Britannica in which they correctly define the word Kenite as being a descendant of Abraham and Keturah, namely uh, related to Jethro, who, as it turns out, were metalsmiths. And so it's very clear that the genealogy of Abraham and Keturah does not contain any uh, sons of Cain. So this is an oversight by Strong where he only gives one definition for Kenite, which is a descendant of Cain. All right, so I'm going to compare the uh, Brown Driver Briggs Gesenius to the uh, James Strong Concordance. And I'm just going to go through the different numbers. It's 7013, 14, 17, and 18. And there's also related words here in uh, Scripture. And I'll just quickly recite them. Strong 7013 K-N, Q-A-Y-I-N, from 6969 in the original sense of fixity, a lance as striking fast spear. So very similar uh, how in the world can you keep such words apart? But they're kept apart by the Hebrew uh, writing, okay? So anybody conversant in Hebrew should be able to figure this out, what the word actually means in in these uh, chapters. So here, let me see, 7013. Now, this is the Brown Driver Briggs Gesenius. I'm on page 883, 7013. Spear, and most of uh, it's got a colon here. References that uh, I can't uh, I can't go to. This is the Brown Driver Briggs has numerous abbreviations and references. But uh, coming, uh, just looking at the previous word seven zero zero six, which means metal worker. It can also, and that is uh, <laughs> kal, Q-A-L, kal. So it's a, it's a word that's related 
and because uh, metal workers produce spears. Again, 7013 is spear. Back to Strong's. Kayan, this is capitalized, the same as 7013 with a play upon the affinity to 7069. Kayin, the name of the first child, also of a place in Palestine and of an Oriental tribe, Cain Kenite. So according to Strong's, this is the name of Cain, the, the son of Eve and Nachash. And so what does Brown Driver Briggs say? Okay, Nab Sin, I think a Nabataean Sinai, I think is the abbreviation here. A tribe of Smiths, a tribe of Moses' father-in-law. Okay, so Strong only gives one definition, namely the son of Cain, the offspring of Cain. But Jesenius starts out by saying, this is a tribe of Smiths, Moses' father-in-law, which, of course, is uh, Jethro. And it refers to Judges chapter 4, verse 11, which we uh, I think we read that today. So, uh, I, actually, we, we did this last week. And continuing, akin to Midian, settled among the Amalekites, in the south of Canaan. Now, because they settled among the Amalekites does not mean they are Amalekites. They're actually, as the story goes in Judges chapter 4, we read through that, and indeed, these people were the sons of Jethro, who we found out had become paganized. All right, so, the but their blood is of Abraham and Keturah, not from Cain. This is the important distinction we have to make. And this was prophesied against by Balaam in Numbers 24. Number two, location in South Judah, a settlement of uh, number two, verse one. I'm not sure what this is referring. Oh, okay. Uh, Joshua 15, verse 57. So the this was talking about the town called Kenite or Kenny okay so anyway this is very the brown driver Briggs is very difficult to read it's nothing but abbreviations okay so next is uh, 7015 and 7016 Kina Q-I-Y-N-A-H, and both of the, a kinon in the small letter is a dirge or a song uh, by beating the breasts or on an instrument, lamentation. And uh, I think uh, yeah, these are unrelated words to our subject. And 7016, uh, yes, again, it's a location. It's a name, it's a place name. The same as 715 in meaning, but it's a place named Kina, K-I-N-A-H, a place in Palestine. And Brown Driver Briggs has the same definition. Okay, uh, uh, noun, pronoun, location in South Judah, a settlement of, again, 11, it's in Hebrew. I can't, uh, uh, 
it's a n- a number I I dot and it's uh, it's in Hebrew, <laughs> and but it refers to Joshua fifteen twenty two, Kina. All right, same same topic. All right, so let's go to seventy seventeen, Kani and Strong's Kani First Chronicles two fifty five, Kani pattern from a Kenite or a member of a tribe of Cain. Uh, so, again, Strong's defines it as merely as a descendant of Cain. So let's see what Brown Driver Briggs has to say here. Adjective, and again, it's a lot of Hebrew here that I can't read. Dwelling in North Israel. Kenois, or Cain, as they define it here in Strong's. Uh, Judges 4, 11, and 17, and Judges 5, verse 24. So it's a city near Megiddo, mentioned by, by Egypt. So again, we have uh, Cain mentioned as a city, and he goes to store, settle among, okay, these are, again, the Kenites, the metal workers who settled among Amalekite, among the Amalekites, Numbers twenty-four, verse twenty-one, and in Genesis fifteen nineteen, a list of people. Now, Genesis fifteen nineteen, we know is Cain, the sons of Cain, and it can have no other meaning in Genesis fifteen eighteen because Abraham, uh, these these people were not descendants of Abraham. Okay, however, his descendants. Through Keturah, namely Jethro, did eventually move down there into the land of the Amalekites. So, again, we're seeing from this study, we see there's two precisely different definitions of the word Kenite. One is a descendant of Cain, some of whom were metalsmiths, and the other is metalsmith, a tribe of metalsmiths descended from Abraham namely those of Jethro and his clan. Very clearly, the, we have to have these two different definitions in mind whenever reading passages that have the word Kenite. They can't be, they're, not, they're two different groups of people not related to each other. And then finally, 7018, Canaan, again, this is capitalized from the same 7064 fixed Kenan, an antediluvian, Canaan, Kenan, okay? Okay, so it can be referring to Canaan or Kenan. I think uh, there's a Kenan in our genealogy as well. Let's see what uh, uh, the Gesenius has to say. Oh, very little. It's just a uh, Sethite. Okay. <laughs> he defines 7018 as a Sethite. Very interesting. Sabbatean, noun, pronoun, uh, dei, okay. Genesis 5, 9, 10, 12, 13, and 14. First Chronicles 1, verse 2. Canaan, okay. So he treats it as a, as a proper noun, as a proper noun, and refers to it as a Sethite, which is proper. But he doesn't uh, d- d- define it as a Kenite 
descended from Cain. So these definitions can be illuminating and can be confusing, right? All right. So anyway, very clearly, the Brown Driver Briggs Jesenius makes a distinction between the descendants of Jethro, who were metalsmiths, not related to Cain, as in Genesis chapter 4. They're a completely different group of people, and we have to understand that. Now, I found a very interesting article on this subject that I put the link in the chat room, and it is about Heber the Kenite, question mark, and uh, this is preacherwin.com and the preacher study, because the Christians should be informed, uh, I'll second that, the title of the article is Heber the Kenite. Now, Heber the Kenite was alienated from the Kenites from the sons of Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses, and he moved his tent as far as the holy tree in Tzay's Anim, which is Kadesh. Now we have to understand that Hobab, from the sons of Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses, Hobab, I believe, was, as is being stated here, either the son or the brother of Jethro. I'm not sure which. I haven't had a chance to uh, investigate the genealogical tree here. But these are definitely from the sons of Jethro, and they are metalsmiths. And it just so happens that they moved into the territory of the Amalekites probably to ply their trade of uh, you know making uh, goods for the people of Amalek and other people. They, they were wandering metalsmiths. And it's just telling us here that they settled among the Amalekites. But one of the descendants of this family was J.L., the woman who drove the spike <laughs> through Sisera's head. Okay? And she was a believer in Yahweh. And, of course, Jethro was a believer in Yahweh. And Jethro is the one who taught Moses. We familiarized Moses with the name of Yahweh, which the children of Israel had forgotten during their 400 years of enslavement in Egypt. Okay? So this is from Judges 4.11. The article continues. What? Now, wait just one minute. Where did this come from? Were we reading this account for the first time? Our natural response would be to think, wait a minute, who is this Eber guy? What is going on with this? Most of us know the story, so we know the foreshadowing that this verse provides. But what a nice little tidbit of what is to come, mentioned as little more than an aside here, but becoming an essential element a little later in the chapter. And all because of a family feud of some sort. Yeah, as we mentioned earlier, the children of Jethro had become Baal worshippers as well. Hobab, we know, was the brother-in-law of Moses. Not the father-in-law, the brother-in-law. Okay, so he must have been the brother of Jethro. Numbers 10.29 And thus was the son of Jethro the Kenite, or his brother, one or the other, Judges one sixteen, who was serving as a priest in Midian, Exodus three one. We don't know for sure whether the Kenites all dwelt in the region of Midian or whether Jethro simply chose to sojourn there. 
No, there's no way that Jethro was uh, the father of all metalsmiths, right? There were metalsmiths everywhere already, and many of them were indeed the sons of Cain, as uh, we are clearly informed in Genesis chapter 4, all right? So now, no, they dwelt all over the place. They dwelt all over the Arabian Peninsula because they were they were uh, people who moved around to ply their trade. So you, know, you could move to one area, you make them swords and plowshares and what have you, and then uh, when they're done selling to those people and there's no more business left there, well, you have to move on and find more customers. That's what they were doing, okay? So Jethro simply chose to sojourn there, but we also know that part of the land promised to Abraham was the land belonging to the Kenites, Genesis fifteen nineteen. Well, that was in Palestine. We do know from Judges 1.16 that these Kenites went up with the sons of Judah to conquer and settle that region of Negev near Arad. Okay, So there's no way that these Kenites, namely metalsmiths, would ally themselves to the Israelites to make war against their own Kenite brethren, the sons of Cain. No, there's no way. Again, this proves, this episode proves that the word Kenite must have two distinct definitions, one being simply metalsmith, the other being the descendants of Cain. We have to keep these two differences, two different definitions in mind when we read the latter chapters, the later chapters of the Bible. So let's continue. There seems to have been some sort of division amongst the sons of Hobab as they dwelt in the southern regions of Judah. We're not told as to what caused the separation, only that Heber had been alienated. The term that is used is the passive form of darup, or parad, which means to be scattered or separated, to be alienated, or to go to the side from the main branch. Apparently, Hobab kept the faith of Yahweh, and the other Midianites didn't. Okay? The other Midianites didn't. As we found out later uh, in, ch- in the chapter of uh, Judges, we just read that they made war against the children of Israel. So that this tribe under Hobab was still faithful to Yahweh, allied to Judah. Okay? You got to make, make this history very clear. While many of our translations presume that this was merely Heber diverging or moving away from home, perhaps for more space, the fact that the verb is found in the passive implies that this is something that has happened to him. Thus, the suggestion that he has been alienated or estranged seems reasonable, though, again, we do not know why, apart from God's purposes. I think we found out why in the study that Michael and I did on the sons of Keturah, which was that Jethro admonished many of his descendants that many of them would become Baal worshippers, all right? So Hobab, it's very evident from this discussion, did not become a Baal worshipper. He was a Yahweh worshipper and became attached to the house of Judah. Let's continue. And at the heart of this verse, what we must see is just that, God's sovereign purposes. God is sovereign even in placing his people where he chooses, in this case from the southern regions of Judah to the area around Kadesh not that far from Hazor, where Jabin, the king under whom Caesarea served, lived. So on a human level, it would seem that Heber is making a statement separating himself from the covenant 
people to live on the border of Canaanite territory. No, that's not the reason why. He just moved there to ply his trade as a metalsmith, separating himself from the, not necessarily from the covenant people because he was a Yahweh worshiper. Yet God even uses events such as this to bring about his ends. From here in Hebrews 10, Sisera would eventually be slain. But we get ahead of ourselves, okay? So Yahweh's purpose was to put them there to get rid of Sisera. Okay, but they were Yahweh worshippers, which, of course, this author does not realize. So, there's a comment, a very excellent comment under this from L, E-L-L-E. And this is posted August 13, 2020. Why does everyone assume that Judges 1.16 refers to Jethro? It says absolutely nothing about Jethro. Well, it does. <laughs> And quote, it says, and the children of the Kenite, Moses' father-in-law, okay, here the word Kenite means metalsmith, period. That's what it means. You are aware that the same Hebrew word katan, C-H-A-T-H-A-N, is used for mother-in-law, brother-in-law, and father-in-law, and son-in-law, okay, just to add to the confusion. Furthermore, Jethro is not once ever mentioned being a Kenite by name, not not in these passages anyway. No, not once. It is assumed by many that father-in-law in Judges 1.16 is referring to Jethro. Maybe, maybe not. Actually, I think it is. Because uh, Jethro indeed was Moses' father-in-law. But his son or brother, I'm not sure which, I'd have to check the genealogy, Hobab is being talked about here. Okay. Maybe, maybe not. Jethro went back to his own land. Presumably, Hobab had come with him. But we still see him, Hobab, with the children of Israel on the 20th day of the second month, second year of their departure from Egypt. He is specifically mentioned after the day, month, day, year in Numbers 10.29. In Joshua 15.57, we see that one of the ten cities is named Cain. This is before, as we just went through with both Strong's and uh, Jesenius, that uh, the, the word Kenite is also used for these place names. This is before Judges 1.16 chronologically. So it appears that Hobab, who was initially going to return to his land and kin, went forward with Moses into the promised land for Numbers 10.33 says they departed. So is it not possible that Hobab settled in the city of Cain, thus becoming known as Kenites by location, rather than by blood? Very good. And this is the whole point. Uh, There's two versions of the word Kenite, one meaning simply metalsmith, the other meaning the descendant of Cain. So very good observation here. Okay, and many years later in the time of Deborah, the prophetess and judge of Israel, we see Heber being called the Kenite, i.e. metalsmith, and he served himself from as metalsmiths. Sounds to me like he is a Kenite by location and by trade. She doesn't mention trade, she just mentions by location. Or affiliation due to living amongst them, not necessarily a bloodline Kenite. Very good. He's not necessarily a bloodline Kenite, and that's the argument we're making right here. God told Abraham in Genesis 15:19 that one of the tribes that would be living in Canaan would be the Kenites. Okay, yes, they would, but these are blood descendants of Cain. 
I believe he, Hobab settled in the city of Cain, Joshua 15:57. This just adds more confusion because he was not a Kenite by blood, as the author makes. As Al states, he was not a Kenite by blood, just happened to move in the city named after Cain. Hobab's descendants became known as the children of the Kenite, Judges 1 through one sixteen, And much, much later we see Heber, a descendant of Hobab, called the Kenite too, Judges 4.11. Now, I'm thinking that the Kenites in that city were indeed descendants of Cain, and that it was named after Cain, but Hobab was not a Kenite by blood, as the author clearly points out. He was not a Kenite by blood just happened to move into that city to be a metalsmith and serve the the people of that city. He was, in fact, an ally of the Israelites from day one, accompanied Moses and the children of Israel into Palestine. Let's continue. In the time of Saul, they are still called Kenites and told to separate from the Amalekites. Very good. Why? Because they're not Amalekites. For showing kindness to Israel. Okay, very good. This makes it very clear that even Saul understood that these metalsmiths were the allies of Israel and not blood descendants of Cain. All right, I hope all this is becoming very clear now. I personally do not feel there is enough information to conclude Jethro was a Kenite in the sense of a descendant of Cain. Now this L doesn't even understand the fact that the word Kenite can mean simply metalsmith of any tribe, race, or clan. He is always called a priest of Midian or a Midianite and is assumed to be a Kenite based on Judges 1.16, which there means metalsmith, not descendant of Cain, which is speculation at best. So from her perspective, or L, I'm assuming L is a she, she, uh, she is really setting people straight, is you can't assume that a Kenite is a descendant of Cain. He might be one of these descendants of Jethro or Hobab. She, uh, she's talking about Hobab, not Jethro. For as I explained, Hobab could very easily be the Kenite being referred to. There, Kenite meaning a metalsmith. As for the Rechabites, those are the descendants of Cain. They do not plant and they do not have permanent homes. They live in tents. Cain was a wanderer and the ground would cease producing for him. There, there is the connection that ties Cain to these Rechabites, Shimeites, Shuchathites, and Tirathites, all descendants of Cain. So she's got, she's got genealogy straight here, folks. She's, but she's simply not aware of the fact that the word Kenite can mean metalsmith and nothing else. I think the reason Heber severed himself from the Kenites was because God put it on his heart to do so, and because he was not a Kenite by race, he was a Kenite by, by profession, a metalsmith. Earlier, Deborah mentioned to Barak that Cesara would die by a woman's hand. Had Heber not moved to where she, he did, it is doubtful that Cesara would have ended up at the tent of Jael. And of course, Jael being a either a direct descendant of Hobab or a, a Kenite, uh, a metalsmith Kenite of Keturah and Abraham, th- thus being a descendant of Abraham. So we have to keep the history straight and follow the lines of descent. Some Midianites were total rebels against Yahweh, 
but some of them weren't. Actually, very few of them weren't. The descendants of Hobab being allied with the children of Judah. So we have the children of Keturah allying themselves with the children of Sarah in the promised land. That's what's going on here, folks. That is, in fact, what is going on here. And any person who suggests that Jethro or Hobab were descendants of Cain by race, by bloodline, simply does not know what's going on here. You have to follow these stories very, very closely, especially because there were some Midianites who were evil and enemies of Israel and some Midianites who were our allies. But, of course, as time went on, by the time we get into King David, there were very, very few uh, Midianites that were our allies. They had allied themselves with the Canaanites. And here, this story here in Judges 4.1 and 1.16 tells us as much, okay? So that there were some Midianites who were our allies. In fact, they were our kinsmen. The children of Jethro and Hobab there were Midianites, descendants of Abraham and Keturah, were our allies for a time, but gradually became our enemies as they became pagans allied with the pagan Canaanites in Palestine, okay? So we have to keep this history straight in order to understand what's going on. Uh, Both of these articles are are speculative, not realizing what uh, really actually happened. And one more comment here. Great comment and good support for your argument. I appreciate the time you took with this, and it caused me to look back at the text to check my own reading. With that being said, you are right. Katan is a verb that can be used very broadly and can refer pretty much to anyone connected through marriage. But in Judges 1.16, the masculine singular participle of Katan is used, which is Kothen. Where this is employed, it is normally translated as father-in-law. The venerable Hebraicist William Gesenius commented that Kothen refers to the father of the wife, one who gives his daughter in marriage. Thank you very much. All right, folks, I hope that clears things up about the term Kenite and its two diametrically distinct (laughs) meanings. Thanks for listening. Praise Yahweh. Pass the ammunition. See you all next time. Bye-bye.